Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. today um our june guest is our friend lauren she's another one of our book club friends um so you want to tell us a little bit about yourself lauren sure i do work with hannah that's true i am in the book club i live in the same town and i work at the same university that hannah does yep and marla and marla and brandon and Brandon. <laughs> so every every one of our guests has either been related to me or works with me mm-hmm. we're gonna need to find some I new know. friends yeah should we diversify? Probably. But I teach English. Um, so because Lauren teaches English, we were brainstorming like what she could bring to her guest episode. And she had the idea of how about a book that she loves, what was it, loves to teach? I didn't like reading. I love to teach. Right. And then a book I loved reading, didn't like teaching. Right. So a different take on the love-hate relationship with books that yeah. we have. And here. I never look at things through the perspective of teaching it because I'm the only person in this room who's not a teacher. Right. So. But I have used you as my one-person class now for a number of books. <laughs> so perhaps you're gaining a perspective. Yes. I was going to say, there are books you liked talking about that yeah. you didn't like. Yeah, and that's what it boils down to, I think. Books you like to talk about, maybe didn't read. Or didn't like reading and vice versa. So, anyway. All right. So, tell us about your books. All right. Which one do you want me to start with? The one I liked reading or the one I didn't like reading? I don't know. Do you have an opinion, Stephanie? I was going to say didn't like reading. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Start with the bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, The book I didn't really like reading, which is kind of a surprise because it fits in the era of time I did my graduate work Mm. in, is Jane Eyre. Oh, really? No way. Oh, this will be interesting. I did not like reading Jane Eyre. In fact, I wanted to throw it across the room at multiple points. Okay. Okay, but I have a question. How old were you when you read it? Too old to be reading Jane Eyre for the first time. I read it when I was like 11 or 12 and loved it. Is that the correct age for Jane Eyre? I don't know. The correct age is probably before your brain finishes cooking. <laughs> okay. For I was you to 19 really or 20, so I guess I missed it. Okay, so you've read it too? Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, that's good. We've all read it. Yeah. Okay. Do you need me to summarize, Jane Eyre? Go ahead, because it's been, yeah, for, it's been a while. For everyone. All right. After spending her childhood in the care of her cruel aunt and cousins and her young adulthood in a strict religious school... Jane Eyre takes a position as a governess at Thornfield Hall. Thornfield belongs to the dark and prickly Edward Rochester, a semi-reformed bad boy who has brought home the orphaned daughter of a singer with whom he had an affair in France. Jane is plain-looking and poor, not poor enough to make people nervous, but definitely poor enough that she shouldn't date Rochester. (laughs) But she's smart and feisty, and that gets Rochester's attention. 
They spend their evenings in flirty intellectual sparring matches, but unfortunately, several things stand in the way of their developing an actual relationship, including their difference in age and class, as well as the presence of the mysterious and violent Grace Poole, who haunts the secluded wing or a secluded wing of the house and whose presence no one is willing to explain to Jane. As Jane and Edward grow closer, the secrets of Thornfield come to light, threatening to ruin everything. Ah, uh, yeah. The mad woman in the attic. Yeah. I am so embarrassed because when I read this book, I got really like interested in the strict religious school part, and I highlighted a bunch of stuff in my book. I thought there were some really good quotes in that section. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I guess I got so profoundly bored that by the end of it, I didn't understand what had happened. And when I read a retelling of Jane Eyre later, I was like, the whole thing is the woman in the attic. Like, that's the book. I didn't realize there was a woman in the attic. And I was um, like, I think I missed something key. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. There's a lot of... I think of... I started zoning out at some point I mean, it's in a, the book. It's a big book and it goes through different phases. There are like five distinct sections. Yeah. Yeah. I think I paid attention to the first couple sections and then I was just trying to be done reading the book. Uh -huh. I missed uh -huh. the thing the book is about. And that's the thing you probably... Like, now I would pick that to be the thing you would be most interested in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you hated reading this book. I did. I hated it for a few reasons. Okay. Tell us. Oh, the toxicity. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> I actually wrote that in my notes. Oh, the toxicity. Yeah. So in terms of your pancake system, I would probably... I didn't hate, hate it. Right. Like, it got 2.5 or 3 stars from me. There was... I mean, it's pancakes. Right. It's, it's a thing. <laughs> but there was a hair in the pancakes, and that hair is emotional abuse. Right. Sure. Mm -hmm. In a relationship that is supposed to be super romantic. Yeah. I feel like most of the Bronte romances are problematic. Oh, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And I am one of those lucky humans who I got into a romantic relationship very early and mm -hmm. just stuck it out. Yep. Mm -hmm. And we grew up together, and it's been pretty stable right. the whole time. Yep. And that kind of up and down roller coaster, roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't like it. And when I read it, I'm like, why? Why? <laughs> Just leave. Yeah, go away. <laughs> yeah, get out of this situation. So yeah, it has a particular appeal for young people. I think who are in that stage of life. Hence mm. the brain cooking right. uh, comment. And I think it really appeals to people who are in that stage where they think. I'm so complicated and nobody understands me. <laughs> Those and people that wear their watches on the inside uh, yes. of the house. Yes. <laughs> and I'm looking for someone who has really been through it, who mm. also understands me mm -hmm. and, and my complicatedness. I bet you're um, really complicated. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, really, you just all need to go to therapy and right. work it all out right. and then have a normal relationship. Um, <laughs> this so, is a theme. Yeah. <laughs> I think it appeals to that. Also, in the realm of toxicity, there is so much gaslighting. Oh, right. of Jane, yeah. Yeah, it's so, so bad. There's a whole section where it's it's part of the, like, they have all of this romantic stuff, but even in the, like, building of the romance, there's this section where he's pretending to be a fortune teller. 
Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. That never makes it to the movies. (laughs) No, it doesn't. But he's, like, dressed as a woman and as a fortune teller, and she goes into him, and he's, like, telling her all this stuff that's going to happen and making her feel bad, trying to get her to admit to him in disguise that she is in love with him. And it's really terrible. That's such a strange move. I don't... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean... Uh, Bertha, the woman in the yes. attic, um, shows up in her bedroom the night before they get married and like, uh, is menacing I re- I and tears the that. veil. Uh. And he tells her that she was dreaming, that he's he's pretty sure she was dreaming. It's just a season of Dallas, baby. Uh-huh. It was all a dream. <laughs> then he tells her, and this one, this one is especially painful for me, he tells her that um, if she doesn't do what he wants her to do, which is enter a bigamous marriage. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh. Since he's already married. He is already married, yes. That his damnation will be on her. Uh, and given the fact that we work at a religious school and, like, if you yes. see toxicity in this place, it's it's that realm of yeah. toxicity. Like, mm-hmm. oh, my, but my soul, you are responsible for my right. soul. I'm like, no, you're not. Spiritual guilt. Yes. Tripping. Ew. I'm glad I didn't understand any of this book. <laughs> Uh, and then he eventually threatens her physical harm. He's like, if you won't bend to my will, I yeah. will make you. Uh, and that doesn't last too long, but it is there. And Still so, a no from yeah, me. All yeah. kinds of bad. Mm-hmm. Also, things I hated. I hated Jane the first time I read really? it. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. As I have read it multiple times, because I have now read it, I think, four times. Because you teach it. Because I teach it. Right. I like her a lot better. I'm starting to recognize that for the time, she was pretty assertive in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. You um, do have to put it in its context. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to realize now just how young she was. I was much right. closer to her age the first time I read it, and now I'm like, oh, she was a she was a baby. Yeah. <laughs> she was a little child in a relationship with someone who is closer to my age now. Right. And so now also I her look at it. Ployer. Yes, her employer. So there's a power dynamic mm-hmm. at play. And mm-hmm. so now I look at it and I'm like, oh, it makes sense that mm-hmm. you did some of these really, truly stupid things. Right. But she does some stupid things, like fleeing the house in the middle of the night mm-hmm. without her possessions and running into the woods because she can't trust herself to see him again and not just accept everything he has offered her. Right, um, right. And at the time, when I read it the first time, I thought, no, no, no. <laughs> and then as she's wandering around in the woods going, I don't know what to do. Maybe I will just die. <laughs> I thought, just leave yeah. the woods. <laughs> there are other options. Leave the man, leave the woods. Mm-hmm. I love that. Perhaps I will just lay down in these pine needles and die. <laughs> yes, it's very, like, it's romantic in, like, romantic literature type of way. In the genre. Yeah, in yeah. the genre of romantic literature. Yeah. I'm also not fond of disability as a method of reformation. Oh, yep. And mm-hmm. he has to, like, he has to use lose the use of one of his arms and go blind before he becomes a good person. Yep. I don't love that. That's a trope of Victorian literature. There are multiple novels that I have read where someone goes blind to become a good person. Is it only mm-hmm. men that that happens to? Yes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I wonder if female yeah. authors felt like that's the only way we can... <laughs> Subvert the system. <laughs> it's actually, uh, I heard an academic presentation on this one time in the the marriage plot. Mm. Uh, the trope is there's like the bad guy, the rogue, and the cousin. 
Oh, yeah. And if they end up with the cousin, sometimes they end up with the cousin and they have to like dismiss the rogue and things almost have to go bad and mm -hmm. then they will end up with the cousin. Or if they end up with the rogue, something has to happen to bring the rogue down. Right. And usually that's some sort of trauma or disability. Because I guess that was the only way you could bring them down in a largely patriarchal system. Yes, exactly. And then there's also an instance of, like, it's mostly a realistic book, but then she's in another place in another town and she hears him calling to her. Yeah. And there's, like, this psychological link, like, telepathic link. That doesn't seem to fit in with the rest of the novel. No, but that's how she knows to go back. And I was like, oh, did Bronte just get tired? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. I was like, was she like, oh, I've been writing this a long time. Now I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> so those were my qualms with yeah. Jane Eyre. Which I should say, I don't think I have said this yet. I did my PhD in Victorian literature. <laughs> right, I know, yeah. So when you said it's a strange book for you to pick. Yes. But when I read this, I read it, I actually read it for the first time in graduate school. Mm. And I thought, why do people love this? Yeah. I just don't understand. Fair but enough. I actually do love teaching it. Well, why do you like teaching it? I like teaching it because, one, it's important. Yes, to and, talk about these things. Yeah, it, well, it's important to talk about these things. That's one of the reasons I like it. I always have really good conversations with my students about, like, we really break down the scene where, like, all the gaslighting and all right. of that. And we talk about that. We talk about the different elements of emotional abuse that are present in that scene. And I think that's a good thing for mm -hmm. students to talk about and mm -hmm. to discuss. A lot of them have never thought about those things. Some of them had read through it and thought that, oh, this is all very romantic. Uh, <laughs> really? Still? Yeah. Oh, um, I have a few of them who are like, oh, but but they belong together. It's so great. Mm -hmm. like, no, these are red flags. <laughs> if you see this, you should run. See, that's where I don't feel old, but then sometimes when I talk to younger people, I'm like, this seems self-evident to me. <laughs> What was the phrase from one of our reviews? Like a red flag in a trench coat or something like <laughs> yeah, that? Like, yeah. you're just a bunch of red flags. Yeah. yeah. This one, like, there is no disguising these. This is just a bunch of red flags stacked on top of each other. It doesn't even have the benefit There's, of there's no trench coat. coat, no fake mustache. <laughs> it's just red flags. Yeah, just sure. red flags. But also it's important as a novel. And when I read it the first time, I don't think I was aware of how groundbreaking it was. Oh, okay. But it's called, I didn't bring my copy with me, but it's Jane Eyre, an autobiography, I think, mm -hmm. or something like that. And it was really the first example of a first-person narrator where you get deep in their head, like oh. deep in the narrator's head. Yeah. And that's normal now. Right. Like most, or many books, maybe not most books, but many books, you are in the narrator's mind. Right. Uh, you understand them psychologically. And this was the first example of that. Oh, okay. And because it was a woman, it really, like, because the main character is a woman, it really allowed Charlotte Bronte to make the argument for the equality of soul. That's one of, so Jane has oh. all of these quotes where she's talking to Rochester and she says things like, we might not be equal in other ways, but we are equal in soul. Oh. We are equal in mind. Um, I have just as much feeling as you do. I have just as much capacity for feeling as you do. Mm -hmm. And people at the time did not think that. Mm -hmm. And so because you are in her head, 
the whole time you can understand that argument it's like oh yeah she does because see we have traced her feelings (laughs) we know that she experiences these things and these feelings were written down by a woman who had the capacity to think them herself as well now actually when they found out that it was a woman they thought it was scandalous because uh and then they called it a wicked book it was called a because it was originally published all of the bronte sisters published under pseudonyms Ah. yes Mm -hmm. so charlotte was Uh. Currer Bell. Yes. Yeah, so Cur- hard to say. Currer Bell. Rural Juror. Rural Juror. Currer and Anton Bell was Acton. Anne? Acton Bell. Yeah, mm. Acton. Currer, Acton. Normaler names, guys. Currer, Ellis, and Acton. I'm just fascinated, first of all, that there are just three sisters who are just writing a bunch of books, and then did they just sit around the, like, old-timey fireplace, like, what should my man name be? What sounds sophisticated to you? Probably. And then they yeah. kept the same last name, though. They were like, but we still need to be, like, siblings in this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this they, just they, like, that was their whole childhood, is they just made up stories together as siblings. And then they had a brother, and so all four of them. Then also there was a brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the brother was, he had affairs, and he did a lot of drugs, and all of that. Died young. Died very, well, they all died. Well, that's true. <laughs> um, but the people, the Victorian people, thought that it was a wicked book because a woman should not know enough to be able to write someone like Rochester who had behaved badly. Mm. And it's like, well, they kind of had a brother who behaved badly, so... Well, and also, wasn't some of it truly autobiographical for Charlotte? Because she did Mm. have, like, a tutor or something she was in love with yeah um valette is the novel that people tend to think is more autobiographical okay but she did serve as a governess and Mm -hmm. a lot of what she was writing about that experience was autobiographical and the part of the at the school yes because she and her siblings were sent to a school that i mean Mm -hmm. she had two older two older siblings too yes that died died very early oh my goodness because of this probably abusive school And supposedly, I I read somewhere that probably why they all died so young, or at least partially, was because they lived in a parsonage that was attached to a a cemetery, and the bodies weren't appropriately buried, and so they were getting sick from corpses. Yeah, drinking water. Oh, corpse water. Because they all died young. Okay. Relatively. Well, I lived in the parsonage for a time, but there was no cemetery that yeah. I'm aware of. And I the water was weird there. The faucets turned on. It's the ghost. <laughs> Did I have a ghost living in the parsonage with me? Okay. Maybe. We'll explore that another time. Yeah. But I don't think I drank any, like, sewage dead people water. Continue. Well, I hope not, because I'm pretty sure that killed all of the bodies. Yeah. Yeah. That checks out. Yeah, the fact that it's important as a novel is one of the reasons I like teaching it. And then another reason I like teaching it is because I like helping students realize that they can like books that they didn't think they would. Oh, okay. And pretty much any time you go into a class called Victorian Literature, (laughs) people (laughs) are like, "Mm, I don't know about this. I don't really think I'm going to like this. And so I like helping them like Victorian literature. And this one doesn't require much from me. There are others that have required a bit. Mm-hmm. I have taught Middle March by George Eliot, yes. which is an 800-page doorstop of a novel. <laughs> um, I have to tell them to prepare themselves because novels now, we think about like movies, but novels then were more like TV shows. Yes. And so... Like, now we expect our novels to be pretty compact and to have steady pacing, and then it was more like, 
watching Gilmore Girls where you have some <laughs> yeah. of those Stars Hollow heavy episodes. Yeah. And you just explore the side characters and you go to town meetings. Yep. <laughs> Victorian novels have a lot of town meeting they type <laughs> episodes. That's a very good analogy. <laughs> it's very apt. All of a sudden, I really want to take your Victorian literature class. Oh, please do. It would be <laughs> yeah. But Jane Eyre is one of those novels that I don't have to do a lot of work once they get into it. Yeah, they realize that they can like it. Yeah, the, the oh, mystery good. of it. It and, does have a mystery element, yeah. And the gothic setting mm -hmm. is pretty fun. Mm -hmm. And Jane is someone you can root for. Yes. And the odds are stacked against her everywhere she goes. And so they're really rooting for Jane. Yeah. Is Wuthering Heights Victorian literature? It is. That is Emily Bronte. Mm -hmm. Have you read that one and do you like it? This is off topic. I'm just asking you. I have read it. <laughs> <laughs> Long pause. The Brontes, uh, the, Brontes, the well-respected Brontes are not my favorite. I actually you like Anne? love Anne Bronte. Yeah. I thought she was great. The first time I read The Tenant of Wildfell Hall. Yeah, I was just going to mention that one. This one is fantastic. But people don't study her as much. They People tend to think that Charlotte and Emily were better better writers and they're more respected. And Emily, I think, has the added mystique of she only wrote Wuthering Heights, yes. right? Because mm -hmm. she's the first one of the three to die. Yes. So mm -hmm. that's her, like, big thing. Okay. But... They all need to go to therapy, too. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole novel of Heathcliff this. Heathcliff is... Yeah. I just own a copy of it, and I've just been like, is this something I actually want to read? And We could do a whole podcast over who's worse, Heathcliff or Mr. Rochester. <laughs> okay. I feel like. <laughs> that is just a master class in codependence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. You cool. might enjoy it. I don't know. <laughs> How much do you like codependence and toxic masculinity? <laughs> well, if you want to read it in a way to, like, break down and, you know. Sure. I don't know. That's book number one. So that, that you didn't one. like number to read, two. but liked to teach. So this one is one you liked to read, but don't like to teach? Yes. Okay. Okay. And it is also one that you have both read. Oh, cool. Okay. Because we read it in our book club. Oh. Is it one I picked? <laughs> <laughs> Which ones have you even picked except for... Drive your plow over the bones of the dead, which I did <laughs> the not. The other one you didn't like. Uh, oh, bone clocks. Bone clocks. Yeah, no. I forgot about it because I didn't finish it. <laughs> right. See, it is not one of those. Although I half expect the book we are reading, the Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead. Uh huh. I half expect that to be an episode pretty soon. I, okay. Yeah. Well, I need a copy of it first. I have not started. That's reading okay. It. That's okay. I'm fifty percent through it, and I was like, hmm, this is a book Stephanie's going to hate. I, I actually. <laughs> I actually was going to talk to you about that off air. Like, hey, have you read that yet? We could just double it and use it for this episode. That's fine. We can use it for a bonus episode or for a regular episode. I should read it. I just have not managed to get my hands on no, a copy. it's good. It's good. No, this is actually, it was the very first book we read for book club. And I'm Scythe. pretty sure Rachel picked it. Oh, yeah. So uh, it's Scythe by Neil Schusterman. Yep. I loved that one and the successive ones. Mm -hmm. No, I read the whole trilogy, did yeah. you? Yeah. I read the first two. I haven't read the third one yet. Oh, cool. cool. Partly because I taught this for more than one semester, so I kept having to reread the first one. Sure. Gotcha. And then I got tired. Now, <laughs> what class did you teach it for? That's with, maybe but... part of why I didn't like teaching it. Okay, okay. Um, I taught it in Comp 1. Right. Freshman level, mm -hmm. general education, yes. not English majors. No, and not a literature class. Right. right. A writing class. When they redid our general education curriculum, 
and they made it so that literature was a choice it wasn't a required course yes it's in a group of courses that you can choose for creative something i thought it was like your humanities it's, or something like that you can choose between or you can choose among I'm an English teacher, I might as well use that correctly. <laughs> you can choose among literature and theater and music. And philosophy. And philosophy mm -hmm. and art. So when they redid that curriculum and they made literature optional, they initially asked us to put a novel into our composition course so that students couldn't graduate without having read a novel. Read a read a novel. <laughs> yep. Yes. And so cool. we got creative with that. We've done a few different ones. I was actually teaching Station Eleven yes. the semester we went home oh, for COVID. Oh boy. Oh yes. boy. That's a pandemic book. Yep. That is so. in fact a pandemic book. And we were cool. reading we were halfway through it when we were sent home for <laughs> oh, a no. pandemic. We had just finished Julius Caesar in tenth grade English. <laughs> Not as apt. Yeah. So political political upheaval. <laughs> yeah. So we got it covered. Yep. We were in comp two reading a pandemic book when we went home okay. for the pandemic. Wow. Uh, but Scythe was one that I did in that class, and I did it because I thought they would like it. I thought they might enjoy reading it, and they did. Oh, I should summarize that. Yeah. One we can go ahead and back up. Um, yeah. Summarize. Back it on up. Tell us about Scythe. Scythe. All right. In a distant future, a combination of AI and the cloud. I. It turns into the Thunderhead. Yes, it turns into the Thunderhead. It's like, it's AI, but it is also just storage. Like yes. Like, knowledge storage, which I guess AI is. Uh, We've been learning these things. Yeah. Um, anyway, it transforms into a sentient entity called the Thunderhead. And the Thunderhead eradicates crime and disease and pretty much everything bad, including death. You don't die of natural causes and you can be revived from pretty much anything. But the only problem is that now there's overpopulation. And so to keep the population under control, there's an order of scythes who operate by very strict rules and who are the only ones who can end life permanently. There are two teenagers, Citra and Rowan, who become apprentices to a respected scythe but since he's only supposed to have one apprentice, they end up competing with each other while also forging an unlikely friendship. And at the same time, they're discovering that everything in the scythedom is not what it seems to be. Like any political power system, mm -hmm. yes. there is corruption. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, I really like that book. I did too. I did too. I thought the world building was fascinating. Mm -hmm. And it's really fun to think through how would it actually be if all the bad stuff went away? Right. What would we lose? Like, what would humanity lose mm -hmm. if you take away death? Yeah. Right. And I thought that was really fun. The discussion of how art changed. Yes. Um, yes. How they don't really understand art mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah, because of the lack of suffering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they just don't have the same feelings that we yeah. have. The same, like, existential <laughs> dread type yeah. thing. One of the things that... One, like, little world-building tidbit that stuck with me was, like, how teenagers would do a thing for fun called splatting. Yeah. Yes. Remember that? Where mm -hmm. they just jump off a building because you could just be taken to a recovery center. And, and they would just put you back together. And the first one is free, but after that you have to pay for it. Right. right. <laughs> Your first for sure. splat is free. Because it's still a capitalist society, of course. Right. And just to teach people, you know, stop jumping off buildings and splatting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I liked the world-building uh, the characters were really well drawn. I think so, too. And uh, the plot was really interesting. It moved really quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I liked reading it. And there were some things I liked about teaching it. I loved the fact that the students loved it. Oh, good. so they really did love they it. They really did oh, love okay. it. I had students who were not readers who would come to class saying, 
I actually like this book. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yay. And, uh, I had several students who read ahead. I had several students who have come back to me years later. Really? said, remember when we read that book in class? I finished that series. Oh, yeah. cool. So that was really fun. That's nice. A lot of them were like imagining TV series. Oh, mm-hmm. it's got to mm-hmm. I'm sure people have thought about turning it either into a movie or a series or something. It would make a good one. Yeah. So it was really fun and they loved it. Good. Oh, yeah. And I like the whole trilogy because it didn't recycle the plot. I feel kind of like how the first two Hunger Games books are kind of the same plot. Yeah. It expands out. All three books have a unique plot, I guess, to them. Yeah. yeah. And I loved um, all the different scythes. They have this one commission of, like, you have to commit this many <laughs> killings. Quota? Uh, what yeah. is it called? Uh, gleaning. 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 Mm-hmm. They have to glean this many people. But how do you choose? How do you do it? When do you do it? All of that is up to the individuals. And it's very like getting to know these people of like how they think the correct or best way to go about this commission that they have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I loved thinking about that. And like, if I were to glean, how, how would, would you do it? it? Like, how would I choose the people? How would I, you know, mm-hmm. try to give them death with dignity and stuff? And yep. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting concept in that. As I was writing this, I was thinking, I think I could teach this better now. So there's mm. part of me that was like, I want another shot at it. But I don't know that I really do. I was going to say, next fall. <laughs> so what I didn't like teaching. Yeah, I'm curious. One of the challenges, and you know this, mm. one of the challenges of teaching any book is breaking it down so that students are reading a manageable amount yeah. at a time. And you can go about that several different ways. Some people will like have the students read the book all at once. But since this wasn't a literature class and the students didn't choose to read a book. Right. And since we had to do a lot of other things, I didn't really have a lot of options here. I needed them to read in manageable chunks, which meant devoting several class periods to the book. And we just ran out of stuff to talk about. Oh, really? And that's one of the things, like, it's one of the things we've realized in book club. There have been a few books here lately where we were all like, well, that was good. That was fun. Okay. I liked it. (laughs) Moving on. It was fun to read. We're done now. Yep. And yeah. even though there were lots of fun things to talk about with the book, mm-hmm. we got through those in the first couple. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the themes of, like, immortality and whatever, like, that's on the first page. So you're going to start yeah. talking about those things immediately, and then, like, it's still the same plot. theme. Yeah. I can see how that would happen. And so we got through those things in the first couple of class periods, and then I still had three more class periods where... We needed to talk about the book, and Mm. I didn't really have anything to talk about. And we haven't mentioned that this is technically a YA book, too. So, like, Mm -hmm. it was a little bit shorter and probably, like, snappier, less deep-divey stuff to to go into. It's got a lot of heavy themes and, like, philosophical elements to it. But, yeah, you can cover those at the front end, and then as Mm -hmm. you go, I could see how you would run out of... Yeah, there's not a lot of text to really dig into, Mm-hmm. And like for a close reading. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I was thinking about it. The classics are classics for a reason. And we mm-hmm. keep teaching them for a reason. Mm-hmm. And part of it is that they yield such great discussion because you mm-hmm. can really dig into the text and you can say, hey, let's look at this paragraph and we're going to spend right. know, 20 minutes on this one paragraph. Right. And this book didn't really lend itself to that. That's just not how books well. are written these days. Like, no. And no one wants them necessarily to be written that way these days as far as like from a commercial appeal. So mm-hmm. yeah. we lose a little bit of that with... Right, those are the ones that end up being Hannah books. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say, when you were saying that, I was like, I like those books. 
<laughs> but I can see having a different experience with that now because of ChatGPT. Oh, yes, because you can talk about the AI elements much differently. Yes, when mm. I taught this the first time, it was only four years ago, but it feels like an eternity ago. Well, it was before pandemic, so it was pre one. <laughs> Pre-pandemic, but also things have changed so much in terms of teaching just this semester oh, because yes. <laughs> of the really fast development of ChatGPT. And so asking students, what do we want from our technology? Mm -hmm. Who is capable of deciding what kind of development is good and what yeah. kind of development isn't? I also think I could do some interesting assignments, like have them write how they would glean or something mm -hmm. like oh, that. Oh, yeah. But at the time, I didn't have that idea. And so right. I didn't have them do that. You're welcome. So <laughs> it wasn't connected to an assignment super well. Yeah, I can see that. And I almost wonder if the second book would lend itself even better to a classroom setting than this one, because the second one's called The Thunderhead, and you get into the mind of the, mm -hmm. the, the mind of the Thunderhead, which brings up not only technological questions, but I think a lot of like religious questions, too, because it functions as basically a god. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be interesting. Yeah. But it would be hard to have students. <laughs> yeah. The second in a series. Make them read both. Go read this one, and then we're going to read this one. You have to class. read all the books I like because I want to talk about them. Right. And you're held hostage here in my class. Yep. Well, you know there's a new one now, too. There's a 2.5 in the series. Oh. Oh, no, I didn't. It's know. called Gleanings, and it's like uh -huh. individual stories of different sides that maybe were mentioned in the right, trilogy. Right, right. But it, like, goes into, I think, I've not read it. I'm interested, though. Like, I want to read it. Yeah, it came out after the original trilogy. I love that. So... It's a good series, and I think it, is. it would maybe work better in high schools than well, that's, college. It, it was a Project Lit book for high school, which was why Rachel, I think, originally chose it for our book club. I am all for reading that kind of literature mm -hmm. in school. Oh, yeah. I always, when I see students that like The Hunger Games or Divergent, I always recommend this series because mm -hmm. I think it is smarter and better. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Quite frankly. It's your vibe, but also it's elevated. Yes. yes. And every student I recommended it to that has actually read it has enjoyed it. I mean, I know face. lots of people both like student age and adult age, and so far no one said they didn't like it. It's pretty universally liked. Mm -hmm. But I agree, better for a discussion group than like a class. Mm -hmm. Or it would be good for a class where you could have them do a lot of reading ahead of time and trust mm -hmm. them to actually do that reading. Right. Uh, and then come back and talk about it for a couple of days instead of trying to devote multiple class periods to it. Yeah, I can see that. Cool. Well, do you have anything else to share with mm -hmm. us? I don't think so. Okay. Well, thank you so much for stopping by, thank Lauren, you. and for sharing some books with us. I'm so glad that we both no we'd read them. I so know, that we yeah. actually got to... It was, they were both good books to talk about. Yeah. Do you have okay. a favorite Jane Eyre movie adaptation? I don't have a favorite Jane Eyre. I haven't watched the new one. Oh, really? I've no, watched it. I need to. Once. I enjoyed it, I believe. <laughs> oh, I do. Very committed I answer. Add, I should also add that um, reading it now, you can talk a lot about race in Jane Eyre and uh, colonialism. Oh, yes. Uh, and I shouldn't have left that out when I, when I sure. talked about have it Have you before. read White Sargasso Sea? I haven't, but I, haven't I really either. want to. I, it's same. short. Yeah, same. It's like about the woman in the attic. It's mm. about how she got there. It's her story, okay. sort of. From her perspective. Yeah. Okay. Redeeming her a little bit because yeah. she is... Rochester does uh, not say kind things about her no. in the novel. Mm -mm. 
Nope. All right. Well, thank you for stopping by, Lauren. And we will talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. Bye.